Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session nine. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter four, where we'll see Jesus being quote unquote tempted by Satan in the desert. And we'll answer the questions, could Jesus really be tempted? And also, what's one way that we can deal with temptation? So unless you're driving, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 4. So we'll begin with uh, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, always involved, there's part of the Trinity right there, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So uh, the first question I have is, could Jesus really be tempted? I mean, he's a perfect person, right? Um, think of it this way. Let's say that somebody comes up to you and says, uh, hey, um, I want you to rob this bank with me. Well, you have no desire to do that, but they placed something in front of you that you had to respond to. So in that sense of the word, you were tempted it's not in the sense of the word that uh, Jesus really uh, was thinking about, um, you know, complying with the devil's wishes. So uh, depends on how you look at that word. Uh, okay, so he wasn't tempted the way I might be tempted over a, you know, a dish of ice cream or something like that where I really, really want it. Um, okay. Moving on to verse 2, it says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, this is the first time in our study that we see the number 40. Um, but remember, we said, I think in session 1, um, that um, our Jewish friends work frequently uh, in their stories by use of numerology. 40 always represents a uh, time of preparation. And again, this is Matthew's effort, another one of Matthew's effort, efforts to, to uh, tie Jesus with, uh, with Moses, that Jesus is a better Moses. Why do I say that? Well, okay, so how many years did Moses lead the people through the desert? You guessed it, 40. How long was Moses up on uh, Mount Sinai to get the uh, Ten Commandments? You guessed it, 40. And we will see 40 and 40 uh, the number 40 over and over again uh, as we go through the Bible. But 40 always refers to a time of preparation. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preparing for what? For his ministry. Okay. Was it a literal 40 days? Perhaps, but it doesn't have to be because we understand how our Jewish friends uh, wrote and uh, at that time and the significance of that number. Okay. Uh, verse 3, the tempter, that's Satan. Oh, wait a minute. It, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Well, hello, I guess so. I think we would all be pretty hungry after uh, 40 days. Um, kind of thank you, Captain Obvious. Okay, the tempter, Satan, approached him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. So what is the first temptation that Satan gives him? Uh, the temptation of uh, improve your physical situation, take care of your physical needs. 
And we've all been tempted, as I just shared with you a minute ago. Uh, my temptation is ice cream, okay? So the best thing for me to do is just not have it in my freezer, and then I'm less likely to uh, give in to that temptation. Probably a good uh, thing for you to consider as well. If you're tempted in a certain area, just get out of that area. You know, if you're tempted by, um, you know, gluttony, don't keep foods that you, you know, that that uh, call to you in the middle of the night. Uh, if you're tempted by... Um, uh, you know, the opposite sex, well, don't go to places where you know you're going to have those kind of confrontations. But Jesus doesn't have uh, that luxury here because Satan is right in his face. So um, in essence, what this first temptation is, is uh, Satan saying, uh, hey, um, don't rely on the Father to get you through this. You need a short-term fix, okay? But and we many times rationalize, but Jesus doesn't rationalize. And how does he respond to this? He quotes scripture. And so he, uh, he said in reply, this is in verse four, it, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So underline that quotation, uh, hopefully with a crayon, and in the margins write Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 3. And that is where Jesus uh, gets that quotation from. That Deuteronomy quote uh, is where, um, you know, it's part of the Exodus experience there. And uh, Moses is saying, hey, remember when Jesus gave you manna in the desert and you were starving, and but God provided for you. So always remember, God will provide a way for you to get out of your temptation as well. So the devil's thinking to himself, well, darn, he knows scripture. Well, Satan knows scripture too, as we will see, but uh, we will also see that he likes to twist scripture. So verse five, um, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and made him stand on a parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and there he gives a quote uh, in verse 6. He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Okay, watch what Satan does here. By the way, underline that quotation in crayons, and in your margins write Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. That's where that came from. Okay, but... The devil is smart, right? Because he gives this quotation, but he, he truncates it. He cuts it off early. Uh, because if you look in uh, Psalm 91, verse 11 and, uh, and on, you'll see, you'll just go one more verse with that. <laughs> and it says, uh, you shall tread upon the asp, the viper. In other words, the snake, you know, the serpent, Satan. Okay, but... Uh, Satan, when he quotes scriptures, he, he likes to distort it and he likes to cut it short uh, just so that it fits his needs, okay? Uh, well, I think Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures pretty well, don't you? Um, so um, uh, also, in addition to that, um, verse 14 um, it goes on in that uh, Psalm 91, it says, Whoever clings to me, that is to say, God, 
I will deliver whoever knows my name, in other words, who, whoever uh, follows me, I will set on high. So isn't Satan sneaky there, right? Um, and so how does Jesus answer him? Once again, the second time with scripture. Jesus answered him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he is quoting from them, so you'll want to underline that in crayon. And in your margins, write Deuteronomy or just DT, chapter 6, verse 16. So um, anyway, he quotes scripture to Satan. Satan is probably thinking, darn, did it again. He saw my subterfuge that I like to distort scripture and or just use verses that seem to uh, uh, work for me as opposed to the whole scripture. Okay, then verse eight. Then the devil took him up to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, all these I shall give to you if, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. So the third attempt, Satan is trying to appeal to the human nature of all people for uh, to desire fame and glory. Um, but um, at this, Jesus said to him, get away, Satan, it is written. And here's another thing for you to underline, another verse. The Lord your God shall you worship and him alone shall you serve. So underline that in crayon and write in uh, your margins, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 13. And need I say, go back to those Deuteronomy verses, underline them, and write in the margins of them, Matthew chapter 4, so that you'll, you'll be able to connect the dots later when you're studying Deuteronomy, when we study Deuteronomy. Reflecting on verse 8 some more, uh, the question might come up, does Satan really own the kingdoms of this world? So was his offer to Jesus a legitimate one that he could give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus if Jesus would just prostrate himself uh, and worship Satan? Well, in a sense of the word, in a, in a sense of the word, uh, Satan really does own these things. Elsewhere in scripture, particularly in the gospel of John, Satan is uh, referred to as uh, the world or the world is referred to, uh, is, is a synonym, if you will, for Satan. So make no mistake about it. Uh, Satan does have power. Having said that, it is only power that is allowed to him by God. That's uh, part of God's design for, uh, to allow us free will. God doesn't want us to, to force us to love God. Um, he gives us free will. So, um, you have a chance to to go in another direction. But uh, Satan truly is the prince of this world and does have things to offer. But obviously, we know how the story will end and that uh, God will, will prevail. Okay, so in all three cases, Jesus responds to temptation by quoting scripture, right? And that's a very good way for us to deal with ongoing temptation on our own lives. Um, look to scripture for an answer. 
Sometimes it'll be abundantly clear. Um, sometimes uh, sometimes you'll, you'll have to work a little harder at it. But if we follow the teachings of the church, which are, which are one and the same as Scripture, uh, we will find a great way to deal with, uh, with temptation. Um, by the way, um, Jesus could have turned the, in the first temptation, he could have turned the bread, or excuse me, the stones into bread, but he didn't. Jesus never does miracles to help himself. All the miracles that we see, with one exception, because I know you might be, have thought of this one, um, are to help other people. So uh, the one exception would be where uh, in the Gospels, he turns, uh, Peter says, hey, we have to pay our taxes. And Jesus says, okay, go cut this uh, fish open and you'll find two coins and pay your tax with one. So it was kind of to help Peter. And he said, and, uh, you know, there's another uh, coin for me as well to pay taxes with. But I think that that, that miracle was more to instruct Peter to trust in him for what he needs, okay? Um, so then it says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered uh, to, to him. So this brings up a question. Why was Jesus tested at all? Well, number one, um, to show that he's worthy of being our savior, he had, you know, he was, he, he's like us in all ways except sin, but he was certainly tempted here in the sense that I, I mentioned at the beginning of, of, of this session. So number one, to show that he's worthy of being our savior. He's the unblemished lamb, if you will. And number two, as an example for us, um, whatever we face, whatever temptations we face, we know that Christ was given those same temptations. He may not have looked at them the way we look at them, but uh, they were uh, truly, um, you know, truly temptations in that sense of the word. So, uh, so much for uh, Jesus' temptation. Now we'll move on to the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He left Nazareth and went uh, to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, verse 14, uh, that what had been said through Isaiah, I'm telling you, I, he, uh, Matthew certainly quotes Isaiah the prophet a lot in his gospel to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. That what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Verse 15, if you want to underline, uh, you want to underline verse 14, and then the quote uh, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, uh, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light on those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death. Light has risen. So if you underlined uh, that, uh, that quotation in verses 15 and 16 in your margins, you can write Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verse 22 and, uh, and on that will, um, you'll see where, where that came from. Uh, last we see, um, um, well, verse 17, we see from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It, the kingdom of heaven starts, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven for it to start. It starts when you have a relationship with, uh, uh, with Jesus and you begin that walk. Many of us would say that happened at our baptism when we receive our sacraments, etc. Um, so um, you begin that kingdom of heaven here on earth. Okay, now we get to the call of the first disciples. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, okay, one of the name changes there, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what we're all supposed to be. We're all supposed to be fishers of men. We all have families. We all have friends. We all have co-workers. We have neighbors. And we are supposed to present the gospel to them. So it's not just for the people and, you know, the leaders of the church, etc. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. So you might think, gosh, you know, I wish I had that devotion where if Christ, the first time he ever, I ever heard his name, I just left everything and, and followed him. Well, don't feel too badly because in Luke's parallel to this, where uh, Jesus uh, meets with Peter, uh, you'll find Luke's parallel in chapter five. Um, Luke has already had an experience with Peter before this, where Peter's boat is full of fish and all that sort of thing. So it may well be that uh, Jesus knew Peter long before he called him to, uh, to follow him. Okay, well, that is, uh, well, maybe we've got a little more time. And then at, uh, he mentions some of the other apostles that for time's sake, we're going to uh, uh, cut short today. And, um, but uh, then he ministered to a, a great multitude um, verse 24, his fame spread to all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were sick with various diseases and racked with pain, and he, uh, he cured them all. So uh, we've got um, the, the calling of, of Peter uh, is mentioned first. I will just say this, um, chapter 4, verse 18 about Peter. Peter, he's mentioned here for the first time in Matthew in our, in our study. But uh, as we know, he's of primary importance among the apostles. Some of our non-Catholic friends think he was just another apostle. But there are many superlatives about Peter that we'll talk about uh, as time goes on. But suffice it for today to say, Peter's name appears 195 times in the New Testament. That's more than all the other apostles put together. So we can see why it was Peter who would be entrusted with the keys to the kingdom uh, to guide Christ's church. We'll talk more about that when we get to Matthew chapter 16. Okay, so let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you for your example of, of Christ dealing with temptation. And even though he wasn't tempted in the same sense of the word that, uh, that we, we may be, uh, we, we cannot say that he did not face uh, temptation. And we thank you for his example that he chose to deal with uh, temptation by turning to you and by turning to scripture to, uh, as, as a way of, of coping with that. So we ask that you give us the grace and the strength um, to use those methods to, uh, to deal with the, temp the temptation in our own lives. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
so next time, we're going to look at the uh, chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, perhaps some of the, uh, the best-known part of the, of the New Testament. And we will see a slight difference between Matthew's and Luke's. Shouldn't surprise us, uh, given the, the difference in uh, em emphases. But we'll reflect on what it means to be meek, for example, and we'll reflect on what it means to be poor in spirit. So come back uh, next time uh, for session 10 for that. Uh, as always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. And until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study.